This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Thanks very much to Brian Callahan, who stepped in for me unexpectedly yesterday. Uh, I already thanked him in person, but I'll thank him publicly now. Uh, I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, jo- Jolene, oh my goodness, she's probably listening to me right now. That's why <laughs> I went there. I was actually talking to her on the phone a short while ago. But uh, Claudette, we do have that situation at Torbay Road and McDonald Drive. Yes. All we know is that it's a, it's an accident and that it's slowing down in traffic. Right. Yeah. So that's a, a busy area. And I tell you, another busy area these days is Prince Philip Parkway because a lot of that uh, traffic that would normally have perused or traveled on Elizabeth Avenue is getting driven up that way, so to speak. Yeah, and we've had accidents there yesterday. Yeah, for sure. And uh, VOCM's Noah Shepard uh, drove the parkway today uh, coming back from an assignment. Is he with us there now? Noah? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you were on the parkway today. It was busy. Uh, yeah, I was taking care of the web there, but uh, yeah, you mentioned Prince Philip. Uh, it is a busy, busy spot these days. Yeah, and I, I guess it's primarily because of all that uh, traffic that would normally have used Elizabeth Avenue. That is uh, just a, <laughs> that's a real mire. Yeah, you know, you forget about it as well, that Elizabeth Avenue detour, because you don't really associate uh, the fall with being the construction season. But uh, I've been caught a couple times now coming up on it. It's like, oh, you can't go this way. And rather than like Kemmount Road, um, when that construction's on the go, usually you just sit in traffic and you wait, but you can pass through. But Elizabeth Avenue is shut down. No traffic getting in and out at certain times. So uh, that all that traffic's going to the parkway. Yeah, so just a little reminder, especially around this time of day when people are commuting, that uh, be patient uh, and you're going to expect some delays uh, while trying to get around. And now we have this added uh, sort of traffic snarl up at Torbay Road and McDonald Drive. Do be careful and use your patience. Thanks, Noah. Um, well, uh, on in other matters, I don't know if you've noticed, but it looks like there's a, this profusion lately of graffiti and not, you know, we... We like to think that graffiti is enhancing <laughs> somehow the environment, but the stuff that's going on lately is just... It's garbage. It's garbage. It's not art. <laughs> it's not art, and uh, it's one thing to do it on the abutment of a highway, whatever. It's a whole other thing to do it on the front of a business. Where people lose money. Or a person's fence. Yes, and I've actually seen it. How disrespectful on people's houses exactly that to me is just that that's above everything yeah yeah uh have you no grain of sense and there was this situation the other day where somebody you know walked around the downtown with the spray paint going just a line right just a line line. just like i don't care i don't care to do that's like giving the finger to everybody anyway uh, it's aggravating, and it's aggravating for uh, homeowners. It's aggravating for businesses who sometimes have to do this over and over and over and over again to clean this stuff up. Um, and it it just brings everything down. I remember, um, was it the Kiwanis in CBS? They had really bad graffiti, and at one point, I think they created something, so it made it really hard for them to put graffiti on the walls. And so now it's, I think there's some beautiful artwork there now. Uh, But 
no matter what you do, I find that people will find ways around, you know, they'll use a different material or, or something, but people are trying to stop it because it is a huge problem. Now, generally speaking, graffiti artists, and we're talking mm-hmm. about artists now, not yep. just people who are putting tags or randomly spraying lines, um, will respect other people's work. Oh, so they won't yeah. spray where somebody else has a piece of work, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. So they'll respect that as artists. But it, what we're seeing now is, is on a different different level much lower level <laughs> uh, from what i've seen anyway and it's it's an aggravating crime that causes unnecessary headaches for many the rnc now doing what it can to crack down on graffiti throughout the northeast avalon in recent months of course the problem has gotten out of hand and the rnc are looking for a number of people responsible for specific tags here's rnc constable james cadigan on a new tip line set up to deal with the problem we're here today to talk about the impacts of malicious damage in our communities, you know, and it stretches right across the Northeast Avalon. And uh, the impacts are financial, you know, hardship and, uh, you know, just destruction of property that is very valuable to our community and, and the, the owners. Uh, you talk about private uh, property owners, public property. At the end of the day, uh, the damage to this property, whether it be from spray paint, graffiti, uh, it's costing these owners a significant sum of money. and. Uh, just after coming out of a time like COVID-19 when the, a lot of the small business and uh, certainly in the downtown area here, we, we saw vacancies and so on. And now we're faced with uh, cleanup, you know, which is costing thousands of dollars. So what the RNC is doing in, in, in line with our investigation of this malicious damage is we've launched a tip line uh, to help us investigate uh, this activity. Uh, You can contact the investigative team directly at 709-729-8800 to provide information. Uh, We're looking for names. We're looking for any information that can help lead us in the direction of identifying those responsible for causing this damage, uh, spray paint, graffiti on private and public property. And, uh, you know, we look to put a stop to this. And, you know, I think that what's missed in a lot of these conversations with graffiti is that it's being placed on property that's owned by a private citizen, a, a small business, you know, the public property as well owned by municipalities in the city. And, uh, you know, when you look at the sum of money that's being spent to clean up this property, it's it's essentially uh, an expense that these small businesses are uh, placed in hardship. And uh, private property owners are, are unable to afford this cleanup and, and also pay their bills and, and live their lives, essentially, you know, uh, put, put groceries in the fridge, for example. So we're here now to request our community to assist us, support our efforts. Uh, let's put a stop to this malicious damage and uh, help support these property owners who are simply uh, unable to keep up with the cost. How bad has it gotten? Have you seen a huge difference in the past number of years? Can you tell us that? I think that uh, in the past year to two years, we've seen a significant uh, increase in uh, damage from spray paint and graffiti on private and public property. How's video and uh, and that sort of thing helping? Like uh, this age of video is everywhere. I think so. I, it's great. I'm glad you brought that up because at the end of the day, it's about information, and we need information to launch investigations to start our our process. And video is a big piece of our evidence gathering. Uh, it's also about reporting in a timely manner. So this tip line, uh, we look to gather information in a timely manner so we can immediately uh, impact this issue. Uh, but what I will add is that if you observe uh, an incident in progress, you know we want you to contact the RNC directly at seven two nine eight thousand. So we can assign uh, a frontline officer to attend immediately. Uh, why do you feel this has been? A, there's been a spike in this type of crime. 
I mean, it's difficult to speculate as to the you know, the cause here. It's something we're going to continue to work on and delve into uh, as we learn more about this issue. And, uh, you know, we do want to direct people, provide names, anything at all that can help us here. Uh, there's specific tags and different things we're finding on private property that uh, we'll release in a, in a, in a media release shortly uh, to be specific. But uh, when you look at the causation here, it's difficult to speculate until we gather more information. James, are we are we catching any of these guys? Have you made any arrests, you know, with the graffiti specific that you can point to? Since March of this year, we have made several arrests in connection with uh, property damage from graffiti, uh, spray paint damage, and in each case, we're finding uh, accused individuals who are carrying book bags with multiple spray paint cans, other other equipment related to uh, creating graffiti. They're on a mission. Yeah, essentially. So obviously, they're out to uh, they're out for this specific purpose, and uh, you know, it's it's quite evident that uh, it's something they've done in the past. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, we're, we're talking about a tip line here at 729-8800 that uh, we're looking for any information that can assist us. You can leave anonymous information. You can just provide a detail that might be uh, specific to uh, something you've observed and, and it can help us. Uh, I think that another thing that uh, I'll mention is, you know, the impact on the community, as, as we said, and, and it's not about uh, just a piece of art or anything like that. What we've seen just this past week was a single line of blue paint tracing the length of Water Street up to uh, New Gower Street along private property and public property that had no no purpose or art value. It was simply damage. And all these businesses that were subject to this paint were, you know, tasked with cleaning up this prop, this their property. Uh, so, uh, you know, you look at how that impacts the the cost and and the, you know, the, the fabric of the community, fabric of the community is impacted by this damage. And you know, it's it's about that that care and respect for our property, and uh, we certainly want to indicate that uh, we're looking to make an impact on that. That's Constable James Cadigan uh, about this uh, profusion of late of um, this senseless graffiti. And like he indicated, uh, you know, in a lot of these cases, there is absolutely no artistic value. There's no artistic value to someone just spray painting everybody's property with a single line as you walk along the road. That's just wanton destruction. So uh, he's asking for the people's, uh, the public's help. Uh, they got a tip line put together, and all that information is up on VOCM.com. You know, one of the things that, that I thought of, and I'm not sure if it's just me or not, but I, I, I have a sense of uneasiness. You almost feel insecure or not safe when you're going past certain things that have graffiti on it. So I feel that it could even um, hinder uh, patronage to certain businesses if certain kinds, not necessarily one single line, but you know, more vulgar things. It, it makes me not want to go into an establishment if I see something like that because it makes me feel unsafe. I wonder how many other people feel that way as well. And you know, I would imagine that would put added pressure then on a business owner who yeah. wants people to come in and feel good <laughs> and feel comfortable yeah. and feel, you know, like they're getting value for money and all of that good stuff. I mean, all of this has a cost and I don't know um, you know when it comes to insurance what that means if if there's added insurance costs then we're all paying for that mm -hmm. and if there's added costs on your on the goods that these businesses are offering well then you know patrons to those businesses are going to feel it yeah I never looked at it that way as well just it's just it keeps going yeah it keeps going so you know 
knock it off. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what more can you say? I mean, it's just, it's, it's an aggravating form of uh, criminal activity that, you know, it serves no real purpose. Well, coming up, the province announces changes to help remove the barriers p- uh, people on social assistance face when seeking employment. This is News Talk on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. Well, the province has announced the expansion of the employment stability pilot for those in receipt of income support. The clawback of benefits was identified as a barrier to keeping people in the workforce or seeking a job opportunity. Those on income support who begin a new job or who continue to work can now keep more of their earnings. Here's Minister of Children, Seniors and Social Development, Paul Pike, who spoke at Stella Circle on Cabot Street this morning. Poverty has always been a complex and a multidimensional area. As a government, we recognize that these are challenging times. And the things that we do and that we can continue to do certainly deeply impact families and individuals, especially those who are living in poverty throughout the province, our country, and our world. Given that income is a critical factor for social and economic well-being, in January 2023, my department was pleased to launch the Employment Stability Pilot for people of income support, in receipt of income support, which is, uh, which is currently being delivered in collaboration with Stella Circle and Choices for Youth in the metro area. Now, I have to say, when I was being briefed as minister, one of the things that uh, caught my eye right away was this pilot project. I said, this is creative. This is something that we should be doing. And immediately I was on board on this project. What else can we do? Can we make this better? Because when I looked at the numbers, it was working and it was making a difference. And we talked about it as a staff and staff were so pleased that that we had so many community, we had community partners involved, that there was a large number of uh, people uh, on the uptake in this and so on. So we were really pleased with that. So again, uh, it was one of the projects that we flagged right away. So I'm pleased today that based on our successes to date, we are expanding this employment stability pilot in order to help more people in receipt of income support to transition to employment. Through this pilot, people in receipt of income support throughout the province who begin a new job or continue to work can keep more of their earnings and immediately experienced increased financial supports and benefits from working, which is what we wanted in the first place. Some of the enhanced incentives and supports of the pilot include a new earnings exemption formula that allows uh, participants to retain higher earnings that result in overall monthly incomes. And we talked about this day one. We have to do something with this program. We, you know, it's working, let's enhance it. A higher job start allowance of $250 up from $125 to help someone with the cost of starting a new job. And that could be something like work boots or clothing. But that's important that we increase that. 
That gives people a chance to go out, get what they need to go to work, and not have to take it from their own income. An extended overlap of income support benefits. And this was very important when we talked about this. The extended overlap right now is 30 days. We're now want to go to 60 days to allow more time to make that adjustment so that there's no gap between the last income support payment and job wages. So that should take care of that. And we saw that as probably uh, something that we needed to get on right away. Employment continuation bonuses. I like that idea too. That's very important. Incentives. Anytime you can build in an, an incentive is a good thing. Employment continuation bonuses to provide escalating financial rewards for continuous employment. Bonuses are $250 at six months, $500 at 12 months, and 1000 at 24 months. And a new employment stability assistance benefit as well that provides immediate assistance if a participant in this program has a one-time urgent need to help maintain their job without any interruption. I am pleased to report that since the launch of this pilot, there are uh, over 170 uh, participants enrolled and about, with most of these working, and the key thing here is that we now have 40 of the participants who require no income support. Now, how can you, like, that's a measurement, a true measurement of success this program with still so many people in the program. You've done it. You've actually done it. We have done it together. We've made a difference in people's lives and we'll continue to do so. By working more, participants engaged in the workforce have increased their financial self-sufficiency. I want to thank the pilot participants for their hard work and success. I am very pleased with the early results. I look forward to what I'm sure to be continued success as this pilot helps even more people increase their labor market attachment and see greater financial benefit. I would also like to mention that the Employment Stability Pilot is undergoing independent evaluation to help further inform changes to the province's income support program. My department is continuing to explore the adequacy and equitability of benefits and how best to improve the program through a comprehensive review. As well, I am chairing an all-party committee on basic, out, uh, basic income. This committee is tasked with reviewing the basic income models and approaches as well as assessing the visibility and potential for reducing poverty in this great province. In fact, my department has already implemented a basic income program for youth receiving residential services through our Voluntary Youth Services Program. This program right now is assisting over 200 youth. Together with community organizations such as Stella Circle and Choices for Youth, our government remains committed to supporting well-being of families and individuals throughout the province. I want to thank these two community partners for their true collaboration. Together we are removing barriers to labor market attachment and supporting people to increase incomes and move out of poverty. A great announcement today, something that I know people in this room were hoping for and we will continue to work with you as our partners because the people on the ground 
are so important to us in policymaking. Your advice is so valuable so we can make decisions that will have this direct impact, and that's what we're trying to do. So that is the Minister of Children, Seniors and Social Development, Paul Pike, who spoke at Stella's Circle on Cabot Street this morning, announcing the expansion of the province's employment stability pilot program. And that helps to eliminate some of the barriers to uh, staying employed or getting a job for people who are on income assistance. And uh, also outlining a number of uh, poverty reduction strategies that the province has either put in place or is currently working on. If you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. Well, coming up, COVID cases are on the rise and plans are underway for the rollout of new vaccines. This is News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we're back. And sorry about that, Noah. I went a little early. (laughs) I know you weren't expecting that, but uh, there you go. A true professional. Well, the province is preparing for the rollout of the latest COVID vaccines. VOCM's Allison King spoke with Chief Medical Officer of Health Janice Fitzgerald earlier today. We're hearing of more variants spreading uh, right around the world. Can you just speak to new variants and if you're concerned about an increase in them? Yeah, so we certainly are seeing new variants and, you know, the expectation will be if we have a variant that is a successful, so to speak, variant, you know, that's able to spread easily, um, we will likely see that here as well. I mean, that's what's happened up to this point. You know, whatever becomes the most easily transmissible and dominant variant is what we end up seeing here. So we don't anticipate that that would be any different. I think we're, we're seeing a, an uptick in, in cases uh, across the country. We're seeing it here as well. But, you know, that again, that's not unexpected as kids have gone back to school and as people have started to move indoors. Um, and um, we're watching things closely. But as of right now, um, it, it, you know, it certainly doesn't look like um, this variant is... is um, skyrocketing cases or anything like that. Um, But as I said, we are watching things closely and this is ever evolving and we're still learning about COVID and COVID is still changing. So as we um, get more information and, you know, as we feel we need to share to inform, then we certainly will. It's fall in a couple days. It's getting colder. People are going indoors. Are we seeing an increase in COVID cases generally here? Not necessarily a variant, but are we seeing more cases reported? Yeah, so we uh, we certainly are seeing a slight uptick. Um, You know, things are holding fairly steady, though, hospitalization-wise. So, um, yeah, I I would say, yes, safe to say we are seeing a slight increase, but, you know, not anything at this point that's, uh, that's... already concerning. And I wanted to ask about the fall vaccine schedule. Um, When can we expect that or when can you tell us more? Um, And would that be rolled out at pharmacies and doctors or yeah, can you speak to those plans at all? Yeah, I, you know, certainly we, we will be announcing a little bit more about the vaccine program uh, next week, I think. So uh, I don't have all those details for you right now. But, 
certainly we know that uh, we don't anticipate there will be any major changes to the vaccine program with regard to who's giving the vaccine. So pharmacists, physicians and the health authorities have uh, have been giving vaccines up to this point um, every year. And so that we expect that that will continue and people will be able to get their vaccine where I guess they've normally gotten it. Um, so we, we do expect that. Uh, you know, there, the recommendations have come out that people should receive uh, the new uh, the newest versions of the vaccine, and we will have um, that vaccine in the province to, uh, to be able to give people once the fall uh, vaccination program starts. And does the newest vaccine protect against all the latest variants? Can you speak to that? So the newest uh, vaccines that have been approved are against the XBB uh, variant. Uh, and uh, so some of the variants that are out right now are descendants of that. And, and we anticipate that, that there will be protection. We're still seeing a fair bit of XBB circulate in the country. So we do anticipate that this uh, vaccination will be effective against the variants that are circulating at the moment. Yes. Should people make it a priority this fall to get both the flu shot and a COVID booster? And I just wanted to ask more generally how the province is doing on the the flu vaccine uptakes or both vaccine uptakes, I should say. Yeah, so um, we certainly do recommend that people get both the flu and the COVID uh, vaccines this year. Uh, You know, we... Uh, for a lot of people who may have gotten their vaccine, um, you know, they may be up to date on all the vaccines that they're supposed to have up to this point. We do know that over time there is some waning of the protection that you get from the vaccine. And so we do recommend that uh, that people update their, uh, their vaccination status. So we've always said that you should get your flu shot every year. And the flu virus that circulates changes somewhat from year to year. So it's really important to get that most up-to-date flu vaccine vaccine. Um, So we certainly recommend that. And, you know, we did see a fairly robust flu season last year, and uh, we may we may see the same thing again this year. We don't know yet, but, uh, you know, we certainly would want people to protect themselves against that. And um, uh, with regard to COVID, obviously, this vaccine is um, is against the latest variants that are out there. So it is offering the the most optimum protection right now that you can get against what's circulating um, with regard to COVID. So very important to to ensure that you get uh, your vaccine. Um, with regard to rates of an uptake, well, we haven't started flu yet. That will start later in um, in the fall, in, in October, mid October usually. So uh, our uptake of that, you know, we won't we won't really be able to comment on that until until we start seeing the clinics um, and the vaccine being distributed. And um, with regard to COVID right now, uh, you know, what we would say for people up to date, they would be. Um, at the moment, it's, it's around mid-20s. I, I don't have the exact number, but it's between 23 and 24, I think. So uh, percent of the population being up to date. And that's Dr. Janice Fitzgerald providing a little bit of an update on the COVID situation and the uh, rollout of the latest COVID vaccine, which will cover uh, some of these new variants that have been uh, circulating as of late. And more details on that program are coming uh, possibly as early as next week um, because they're hoping to have that all rolled out by early mid-October. 
if I remember correctly. Uh, and it's going to be supplied in the usual ways. If you got yours at your pharmacy, for instance, you could still get yours at your pharmacy. Uh, if you got it at your doctor's office, you can get it at your doctor's office. If you got it uh, through a COVID clinic, then they expect that that will be the case as well. Yeah, I, r- I remember getting mine at a, a clinic. I think it was at Mount Pearl Square. It was very, very efficient. Just, you know, in and out and no pain. It was, it's really, it's just parking wherever you go that that's it it's it's and not those hard. nurses are so lovely i got to say yeah I'm a little every bit last one of them very very <laughs> they are wonderful and understanding and uh i have someone in my family who is not a big fan of needles and when i say not a big fan i mean really not a big fan oh like it so is a deal it's okay. a deal uh so uh i always find them so understanding so patient you know putting up with what my son can dish out from time to time. <laughs> no, he's not bad. He's just, uh, he gets really worked up. Anxious, I mean, a, lo- yeah. but a lot of adults are that you can get worked up over needles. It's too. true. It's, it's, it's a real fear. It's one of those real fears. Now, you yeah. know, if I had to go into a clinic and deal with spiders, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm with you. That's one thing that I would never be able to do. But I don't know I'm good. what it is about spiders, but. I understand their role, and I respect it. You know what you have <laughs> but to do. Just don't come handy to me. <laughs> exactly. And when it happens in a car, it's even freakier. Oh, that has happened to me. Or a like a of wasp. Oh yeah. If you're going through a drive-through, especially this time of year yes. when they're a little bit stunned, you're going through a drive-through <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> like I'm in the car going. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, people have to be wondering, you know, is she okay? Do I need to go over and render some medical assistance? <laughs> no, it's just an insect. <laughs> it's just a little beady-eyed, six-legged or eight-legged creature. Yeah, it's so weird, those ir- irrational fears, yeah. hey? Because, yeah. I mean, they're so tiny and really not going to do Like much. the elephant and the mouse, right? <laughs> yes. We're the elephant, they're the mouse, yeah. and yet we're terrified. We're terrified. I don't know why. What's <laughs> instinctive? It must be something going back to our very earliest dawn of history type of Oh, yeah. Psychiatrists will have fun with us on that, for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, COVID vaccine clinic uh, mm-hmm. or any kind of needles, you know, I- I'm not, you know, like, yeah, wow, I'm going to get a needle. Uh, but I can handle it. You can handle it. Uh, and they try to take your mind off it, too. Spiders. Not so much. Not the same. If that one spider had to be going across here. You'd be screaming. It has to be a certain size. If it's a little <laughs> tiny one, it's like flick gun. Okay. You know, yeah. whatever. I, I'll let you go on your way. But as soon as it reaches a certain uh, volume, stature or a look, yeah, <laughs> um, then, you know, you'd find you, you'd have to fill some air time. <laughs> And that's when I would start the videoing. (laughs) (laughs) I see the TikTok now. Radio host flips out (laughs) due to spider. And then eventually you see the zoom in on this little Little tiny thing. thing, Right? If you call them Charlotte, it helps, you know, from Charlotte's Web. Oh, don't get me started on Charlotte's Web. I could still screech and bawl thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was sad. Anyway. Something hopefully nicer coming up after yes the, uh, well a little break. bit of inspiration <laughs> okay. uh, for you a uh, young family spoke today at the rbc race for the kids so we'll hear a little bit about that uh coming up right after this this is news talk on vocm stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your vocm join linda swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you news talk on your vocm 
And we're back. And of course, uh, the world is watching this dispute that's evolving between Canada and India. Uh, India has always been one of our allies. And of course, um, there's a lot of similarities between India and Canada. And uh, we have lots of uh, people from India who have moved here and made their homes here. uh, And vice versa, Canadians going over to India. But there's this uh, diplomatic row now that is really growing uh, with its tensions and it it all stems from uh, remarks made uh, by uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in the House of Commons earlier in the week. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau now calling for India's help to investigate the killing of a Sikh independence activist on Canadian soil while New Delhi says Canada has provided no information on the case. Trudeau told Parliament on Monday there were credible allegations of Indian involvement in the killing of Hardeep Singh Nijar, who had been wanted by India for years and was gunned down in June outside the BC temple that he led. At the United Nations today, Trudeau said during a news conference that he wants India to take the matter seriously and work with Canada to ensure accountability and justice. Trudeau stressed that Canada would not waver on the importance of the rule of law protecting Canadians and stand up for its values. At a briefing today, Indian External Affairs Ministry spokesperson Arundam Bagchi said no specific information has been shared by Canada on the Nijar case. Bagchi said India has told Canada it is willing to look at any information it provides to authorities. And that is um, perhaps some of the most uh, I guess, reasonable rhetoric between the two countries that I've heard in a little while. But uh, this is uh, really ramping up with India actually warning its citizens not to travel to Canada uh, because they may not be safe here. So it is... a lot of tension with a country that to now I always thought we had very friendly relations with. So very concerning indeed. We'll uh, be watching that story very closely as it continues to unfold. Well, we've all heard some of the inspirational stories surrounding the great work done at the Janeway Children's Hospital. The Janeway Foundation today officially launched the RBC Race for the Kids fundraiser for the hospital. The global virtual family fun run will take place October 15th and 16th. And if you needed another story to help get you motivated, here is the Latoshik family. Nine-year-old Abigail underwent treatment at the Janeway when she was just five years old. Well, here's Abby, her mom, Stacy, and her dad, Arthur. Hi, I'm Stacy. I'm Arthur. I'm Abby's mom. This is Abby's dad. This is obviously Abby. She is um, shy. Um... In like 10 minutes she'll warm up and then she'll just be like pulling on my sleeve trying to talk. But right now she doesn't want to actually speak so I'll tell her story for her. Um, she was five years old when she was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Uh, we brought her to the Janeway Emergency Department. They did three rounds of blood work, um, admitted her that night and then the next day was tentatively diagnosed. And then Mother's Day of 2020, she was officially diagnosed with uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is a type of blood cancer. She spent the initial 19 days at the Janeway going through it all. She got a port put in. 
Um, she received blood transfusions. She started her chemotherapy, and so began her initial um, struggles with medical anxiety. Um, she hates being poked at. She hates being looked at by anyone medical. She does not like being in there. Um, but that's not to say that she doesn't like the staff of the Janeway, because she mm -hmm. loves all of them. She's actually kind of sad that she doesn't quite know anybody in the audience from the Janeway right now. Um, but we went through... Two and a half years, which led us to July 18th, is when she took her last oral chemo. And then in August of 2022, she rang the bell of hope. Um, she's still seen by um, the oncology team, which is a very large team. There's a dentist, a physiotherapist, a social worker, a psychiatrist, um, two nurses, three doctors. Um, Jane, uh, Abby's been to every department in the Janeway. She's currently seen by the ENT, a physiotherapist. She's on the wait list for psychiatry. She still sees her social worker. So the Janeway will be a part of her life until she's at least 18. She'll be followed. Um, so we definitely owe a lot of credit to anyone who fundraises to help the Janeway be who it is today. We would, she would not be this thriving nine-year-old who loves to sing, dance, tap. Which I have tonight. <laughs> and uh, she's definitely thriving, all thanks to the staff at the Janeway, and we couldn't say anything better about them. They are amazing. They have comforted us in our darkest times, and they have definitely comforted Abby in her very, very darkest times. So thank you to everyone who is pushing the fundraising forward, and to the Janeway Foundation. We love you guys as well. Um, so thank you. Do what you can for the little kids like Abby and make sure they all thrive like she does. Thank you. I say thank you. <laughs> so there you go. The story of the Latosic family. Uh, that was uh, mom, Stacy, uh, accompanied by little Abby and her dad, Arthur. And um, it's those kinds of stories that remind you of how important it is to uh, help out on the, you know, any number of important causes is when you hear about the people who are directly affected and what it means to them uh, I think those are way more powerful than somebody simply saying we're raising some funds. Oh, it, it's integral. And when you see the success stories, too, and just knowing that she rang the bell of hope and what it meant for her family, it's hard to put a price tag on that. It, it, you just need to give to things like that so that you can continue more of those good stories. And it's been a struggle, hasn't it, in the last little while? Um, you know, I don't know how the Janeway compares to other charitable organizations, but I know COVID put a uh, a real uh, damper on a lot of uh, charitable organizations that uh, you know, uh, you know, do such important work in the community on every single level. I mean, there's all kinds of aspects of our daily lives uh, that you know, dedicated volunteers uh, put their time and effort into to ensure that other people are uh, doing okay. If you know what I mean, and uh, so a lot of those organizations, an awful lot of them. Uh, saw their um, 
numbers dwindle. Numbers dwindle, mm-hmm. yeah. Not only in volunteers, but also in, in, in the funding that they were receiving. Because, you know, they'll have walks and runs and, um, you know, charity events of this kind or another. And, of course, all that came to a screeching halt there a couple of years ago. And uh, so they're all struggling now. But anyway, I hope, hope that all of these groups are starting to see a bit of a, a change again. Or certainly we're seeing a lot more uh, fundraisers going ahead for sure, which is nice to see. We are noticing that a lot now this time of the year, which is, you know, great. It would be interesting to know if you're right. Would it go back to pre-pandemic levels? It's hard because with the cost of living going up, that is probably one of the first things that people are going to do. The discretionary sp- spending is going to be gone, right? And that's the big thing right now, yeah. isn't it? I mean, when you're trying to juggle your budget and a lot of people you know either keep a budget i i admire the people who can (laughs) (laughs) i admire you uh or you know just know what their means are um you know and when you're thinking about "Mm, should i go for this subscription on this thing or should i make the usual donation i make to this thing you know uh all of those things get weighed and I wonder you know what gets what gets put to the side off yeah yeah and which is why these stories are so important because that's that's the important things that people need to spend their money on is each other and community and making sure that we're all happy and healthy and that's one minor way to do it yeah and whatever is important to you because we all have our we all have our thing yeah we all have our little thing or things or big things or whatever the case may be and it might be something very simple and very small or it might be something you know that affects a huge number of people so uh, yeah we all got our things but that's interesting i wonder if um, groups are starting to rally back a little bit yeah um, again i i really do believe that it is attached to the soaring price of things so it'll be interesting to know where they are now and where they'll be in a year and are they doing different strategies to try to combat that yeah maybe tell more of these stories maybe that's that's the um answer yeah and i mean we do hear them a lot Mm -hmm. on vocm don't we we do people come to us to tell us those stories we don't have to go seeking them out they come to us and say i want to tell you this and we're always okay let's go sure (laughs) right uh because it's it's about getting it out there and it's about reaching audiences that you might never get a chance. I mean, it's one thing to do it on Facebook. You get it amongst your friends or you get it shared a few times and then sort of loses, I don't know, it, it's, it gets lost in the ether, I think. It and does. Especially it when you see a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and what we do is we mindlessly scroll. You might mm-hmm. mindlessly scroll past some very important stories but it's good to get it out to on radio and you never know who could be listening and what that little one thing that is said that could resonate with someone and spark change spark them to go ahead and give when they didn't give yeah and we do hear from people from time to time it's really quite extraordinary we get it sometimes in the newsroom somebody will suddenly say to us remember that story yes. you had back in june um well i found that person and now we're doing this together or you know mm-hmm. whatever the case may be and it's like what wow yeah that's amazing story has legs yeah absolutely and that's the kind of stuff uh we all like well um cyclones t- tornadoes hurricanes Um, There's another potential tropical storm heading towards the coast of the United States. Uh, The U.S. National Hurricane Center has issued a tropical storm warning from coastal North Carolina all the way to Delaware. 
It says the disturbance is located off the south coast of Carolina, is moving north at 15 kilometers per hour. That's that's tripping along there with maximum sustained winds of 55 kilometers per hour. Meanwhile, Hurricane Nigel, still at sea over the Atlantic Ocean, that's centered about 815 kilometers southeast of Cape Race. So so that's another one that uh, they're all watching very closely because, uh, you know, so far, Knockwood, we've... we've managed Dodged. to escape the worst yep. of it and of course this saturday is the one year anniversary of hurricane fiona can you just imagine no and the I people can't believe that in that region still are doing without trying to navigate their way through all mm-hmm. of that uh, so very significant indeed and hopefully we'll hear more about that now coming up tomorrow um do join us then uh, in the meantime have a great evening